have a car that I'm now realizing is very easy to honk at. It's something called a Mini Cooper, I'm sorry. Not only is it a Cooper, but it's a Mini Cooper. It's fast, but it is a kind of car that I gather is easy to honk at on the roads. It's not large, it's kind of small, kind of pesty, and it runs around fast, and I don't know, I get honks. And they're not honks that are telling me, this is great, they're honks that are like, what are you doing here? This little car could fit in the, in the cargo hold of my pickup. Now please, don't start honking at me in the parking lot, because that'll just make it worse. But I know I have a car that people like to honk at. We honk in New Jersey, don't we? You know, we're kind of challenged in that, and I realize it. Off to our east, we've got a city called New York that's always in the top five angriest cities in America. Down south of us in Philadelphia, the, the city of brotherly love is actually now in that list of top angry families. And we're always like number two or three on the states with the most stress. So you add all of that. We went down to Florida last year and took a little vacation, and we're sitting there by a pool, and I said, you know, Janine, something's quieter in our life. And I realized I hadn't been honked at in four days. <laughs> we got back to Newark Airport at 6 in the morning. I had not, and you could ask her, I had not gotten out of the airport at 6 a.m. without someone giving me that welcome back to Jersey honk. I don't know why we honk. I think some people honk because probably I've done something squirrely. I think number two people honk because they want to join the community of New Jersey in the morning. I think other people honk because they're just angry people and they have to ruin your day or my day by beeping in the horn. And for me in the Mini Cooper, it comes out of the engine, which is about level. I can't see people behind me in my rear view window. I can only see a grill or sometimes in big cars, just the tires. But I know I have a car that likes to get honked at. Why do people honk? I don't know, sometimes I think maybe we just get angry. Well, we're going to talk today about starting a new series where Jesus just changes everything up. And I think this angry thing is part of our human condition. It's who we are as human beings. You know and I know we deal with this. If we don't deal with it, somebody around us is dealing with it. Well, we're starting a series in these next maybe eight weeks, summer at Mendham Hills, where we're looking at, very simply, Jesus switching things up in incredible ways. And very simply, it goes like this. Well, Jesus says, you've heard people say this, but I say this. You've heard it written in the New York Times or in daily media or whatever you watch on your, on your devices, but I say this. And it's fascinating how he changes these things up. Today, I'm going to start off this series with something that I just call storms. We have storms. It's been a whole spring of storms. We had a storm last night down where we live, a little bit southwest here, maybe about 20 minutes, and there were limbs across the roads. There was stuff all over the place because a storm had taken this thing down. You know, we sometimes have storms in our life, don't we? Times in which it isn't tranquil. 
where we wonder where the blue sky is, where we wonder where the sun, S-O-N, is, all obscured with the clouds. And maybe this time in your life as we enter into this, we'll hear God speak and bring these topics together. There's a guy named Jeff Kluger with the New York Times who said this, and I quote, the easiest thing you'll ever do all day is get upset at something and get upset at someone. Someone cuts ahead of you in traffic. We get upset. The guy or gal in front of you at Starbucks needs the entire order remade because the mocha half-calf, double frap, the wrong number of espresso shots in it, even though that you know and they know that they really can't tell the difference, we get kind of upset. We read recently in the IBM Watson Health NPR health poll, they asked all these respondents from all over the country these things, and this, this is interesting, 84%, big number, 84% of respondents said that they felt that Americans were angrier than they were a generation ago. That's a lot of people. That's the majority of us. An additional finding was that 42% of respondents said over the last year they were angrier than they had ever been in their past. So in the last year, almost half of us are saying our anger has escalated and is peaking. 29%, almost a third, of respondents said they get angry often. 42 said they get angry sometimes. 75%, especially when they check the news. 31% of respondents said they get angry very much when they are watching things in media. 91% of respondents, 91, said that they believe that people are freer to express their anger on social media than they are in person. And yet we're addicted to social media. And yet 91% of people said that's where it all hangs out. 69% of respondents said that anger is a negative emotion. Now, I can understand that, but that also tells me that 31% didn't see it as negative. Well, that kind of makes sense. That's why 31% just go do what they're doing. 69 say we think it's negative. I kind of have a feeling it's negative most of the time because it eats us up. And if we were honest today about what's going on in our life, there's probably someone out there that we may be angry at or are angry at us. And then we get to this change up where Jesus just changes the whole thing. And this is what he said. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Okay, I haven't murdered anybody that I know. You've heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Well, that makes sense. But I, Jesus, say to you, what? That everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment? Whoever insults his brother, liable to counsel? Whoever says you fool, like we never say that, will be liable to the flames of, of hell. Wait, wait, wait a second. We've been talking about this 
amazing God, so full of grace. And here we see a change-up that seems like it's tightening the screws on this emotion. Now, what we want to do when we read this powerful book, The Word, what we want to do, it's called The Word or the Bible, is ask questions. And so we ask ourselves today, well, Jesus, you, the bringer of grace and truth, just tighten some things on this. People before just only got in trouble with murder, but now you're saying that anger, of which 69% of people say is a negative emotion, you're kind of calling that out. Jesus, why are you calling that out? Well, here's a thought. I want to begin with that. I had a prof a long time ago when I was in school and had a very wise thing to say. I've listened to it all my life, and it helped me make sense. Like, what do you do with the Old Testament? What do you do with it? Well, he said this. Pass the Old Testament through the window of the New Testament. And whatever changes, changes. And what stays the same is meant to stay the same. And so when you see something in the Old Testament, you wonder, what about this? Look and see as you pass it through the New Testament whether Jesus and the apostles changed it. And here's a change. That change went from a control on murder to calling out this human experience that we all deal with, this thing called anger. Now, how can he say this? Well, let me explain a couple things as I unpack this. My little car, that Mini Cooper, has kind of two transmissions, I guess. A normal one and kind of a sport one. Probably some of your cars have the same thing. But what if I had a third transmission called anger? It would be as if I shifted that gear and that transmission into angry. And then I'm living and trying to drive on that. This word in the original language isn't getting upset because someone spilled coffee on you at Starbucks. It's not because someone cut in line in front of you at the grocery with 10 things when it's a seven or under line. It's not about when you step on a Lego in the middle of the night because the kids didn't put their Legos away. What this is about, people are laughing, what this is about is when we shift into angry gear and we solidly target a person with that anger and we're in that transmission and we're not going to get out of it. That's what that anger is about. It's something that breathes, something that's alive, something that tears not only the other person up, but it's tearing us up as well. Well, 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 how how can Jesus deal with it? Why does he switch this up like this? It's actually so encouraging. You see, what, what, what he's saying is, I change this up because I'm doing something so cool in you that it can only be expressed by the fact that through your life, anger has the potential of being almost totally mitigated out of you. Well, how's that? Well, in this up until time, until when Jesus spoke this, 
Everybody had just a normal life, and, and it was described by some of the prophets as having a heart of stone, but he said, I'm coming to take the heart of stone out and to give you a new heart and to give you a new name and to give you a new future and to give you a new identity and to give you the cool Holy Spirit who comes into your life and knows how to deal with this stuff from a love perspective so that our lives can fundamentally and wholly change so anger can totally dissipate. That's what he's saying. It kind of goes like this. When I was a kid, I used to have a paper route. That's when people actually read newspapers, you know, and I had this thing, the Red Bank Register. I was down in Monmouth County. I had about 50 of them, and I rolled them all up, and it was cool to be on my sting, Stingray bike, and, and I just kind of flip it and catch the wind and see it zoom off into the patio or a porch. But I, I had one, one house right at the end. It was like my last call of the day had this enormous long driveway and had this mean old dog on the end of it. And I tell you, that dog couldn't wait till I got there. It was as if I made it. This was the day. This was the moment that he's been living for all of his life. And the minute he saw me, he came tearing after me. And he just didn't bark. He would nip my feet as I was trying to pedal so that I had to bring my feet up on top, got a good run, and try to coast in and try to get out. Well, finally, the owner realized maybe they had some liability on this issue, so they put a muzzle on the dog whenever it saw me. And so the dog was like this, and he really couldn't bite. What the muzzle did, it never took the bite out of the dog. It just made it impossible to do what it wanted to do. And in a sense, that old covenant or that Old Testament was kind of like a muzzle where God's trying to say, well, I haven't changed you from the inside out yet, but the muzzle's there, and it can keep you from doing stuff like murdering people. But then when you get into the new covenant, I can take that off because the new covenant doesn't just muzzle our lives, it takes the bite out of the dog. It takes the anger bite out of our lives. It gives us the potential to be free from one of the most debilitating, destructive emotions that we could potentially have depending on how much we do it. We get angry, don't we? Some of us grow, grew up in families with all sorts of different things happening. Why, why do we get angry? Why do I get angry? Well, I, I wrote down a, some of these things. I think sometimes... We get angry. Maybe we grew up in a family with a lot of anger. It was like every time everybody got together, it was like a food fight, you know, and, and everybody was louder than the next person. Everybody said all this stuff, and then the, the sun will go down, and the next morning, everybody's brand new, and, and we grew up with families like that. So why not be angry at everybody? But it kind of eats us. It kind of tears us apart, and if we were authentically vulnerable today, we say, you know, maybe it wasn't really good on the family. I grew up in a family that did the opposite. They stuffed it all in. Just stuff, pretend it didn't exist. So nobody was really honest or vulnerable or talking with each other about the stuff. It just got buried deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And that doesn't work as well. So we grew up in families. And sometimes we take how our habits were and our family's habits and we just roll it to our generation. But we don't want to roll it to the next one. Now, number two, maybe there were things that people did to us that just really made us angry. One out of three people sexually abused. 
One out of four from an alcoholic parent. All of the stuff, maybe stuff happened to you. It is brutal. It's like an onion you just keep peeling off, people say, and, and it just doesn't really peel that easily. You think you get it through, and then all of a sudden there's another level. That whole dad wound thing, maybe a mother wound thing. So people did stuff. Maybe somebody did something in high school. Maybe someone walked away. From, maybe people said stuff about you that was so not true. You'll never amount to anything. You're not like your Uncle Vinny. You're not like Maggie. What's wrong with you? Why aren't you like your brothers and sisters? Maybe somebody in a position of authority said something like, you'll never amount to anything. And the problem is, we believed it. And when we believe it, we believe a lie. But that lie can trigger within us a burn that doesn't go away. In one of the Psalms, they talk about this thing called the broom tree. That there are arrows, like words that shoot. And sometimes they get shot at us and they hit us. Think about when you shoot an arrow or words at someone. You can't grab them before they hit their target. They're out there and they've hit. Or they've hit us. And we pick up a bow and arrow and we start shooting our own and suddenly everybody's full of arrows. Well, it says that these arrows, is, it's like the broom tree and it's like a, a fire of a broom tree. They say that if, if you're near Jerusalem and you decided to have an evening fire, a campfire and cook some fish or make some cheesesteaks, whatever you want to do, if you went down to Egypt and came back like two or three days later, you wouldn't have to relight that wood because the broom tree would still be flames and that's kind of the way it is when somebody does something to us that we have within us so maybe somebody did some things number three maybe we just feel like things are out of control like that new york here that's upside down and we feel like our life's upside down if if only everybody at work would be perfect if only my taxes would be perfect if only the township would be perfect if only everybody around me would be perfect. Now, am I perfect? Well, of course not. But I, I kind of, as C.S. Lewis said, kind of expect everybody else to be, even though I know I'm not. Well, well I just get angry because people aren't doing what, what I want them to do. They don't get off from the light fast enough. They don't stay at the light fast enough. They didn't stop before they made the right-hand turn. They did things that changed my world. Probably if I ask today, are we where we thought we would be when we were 20 years old? Probably none of us were where we are, where we were thinking we'd be at 20. But we're on God's adventure. And I tell you, it's probably much, much better than trying it on our own. But sometimes we feel like things are out of control. We don't think that people are doing what we, we think they should be doing. And sometimes the people close to us are the ones that we think they should be changing the most. And we don't understand. I think the last reason is I think sometimes we, we are just people that, that just find out that, that there are inner, inner storms of, of turmoil. How do you know if you have an inner storm of turmoil? Well, things are turbulent in here. Things aren't at peace well, that person did that to me 10 years ago. Doesn't bother me. How often do you think about it? 
every day. Really? No, what they did will never, will never amount to anything in my life. I'm bigger than that. Well, how's that working for you? Well, do you dream about it? Yeah. Okay. So it is pretty big. Maybe very, very big. Now, in this whole situation, this storm within us, somebody did something. Did they ever come back? Do you know? I don't want them to come back. They're dead. They're dead to me. They're dead to you, but this thing is alive in you. They're dead to you for whatever reason, but the anger still is there. How do I deal with the anger? This is why Jesus talked about the most powerful remedies and why he can say, eh, it used to be murder, but, but let, me help with ang- let me help with anger. You got this thing called forgiveness. Blanket forgiveness over our own lives for everything we've done, everything we think we've done, everything we wish we'd done, but we didn't do. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. It's just, here it is. Do you want it? We go, yeah. And this is not do the same thing to other people. Well, oh, Jesus, that's, that's a whole different thing. You know, that, that's different. I, I really love you forgiving me, and, and maybe you forgive them, but I don't want to forgive them. Jesus, you got to forgive them. Why? Because it's going to be really healthy for you. For me? Yeah. Because if you don't forgive them, it just keeps perpetuating and building strength in your life. And so we have this whole forgiveness thing. You have this whole grace thing. There's some very key principles that he, that he talks about because this inner storm of turmoil can be so ratcheting of our life. And so here, here are some very principles that are very real. Number one is this forgiveness piece. But, but, but I like this. He said, Jesus said this. He said, in this passage, he said, I'll tell you what, go be reconciled. I don't want to be reconciled. I know you don't. That's why there's anger. Go be reconciled. How do I do it? Well, you go to the person. They're dead. Well, then tell the Lord in your own heart You've still forgiven them. Why is that important? Because he forgave you and he forgave me. Okay. What if they don't want to be reconciled and they're alive? Well, at least you did your duty. You did your job. Say, but but, but they're just going to beat on me more. Well, that's between them and God. But for you and for me, Jesus says, just go go be reconciled. It's hard. I know it's, it's crushingly hard. But what it can do is it just releases that cauldron of potential anger within our lives. Go be reconciled. And so number two, I just say it this way. It's like this is the thing. He says, go settle stuff. Stuff happens, doesn't it? And I I look back on my life, and 90% of the goofy things I've said, I look back and I go, why was I so silly? You know? Maybe 10%, I, I had some things to really talk about somebody about. But a lot of it's just, just, just kind of goofy stuff, settling stuff. Some of us like to talk. Some of us don't like to talk. Some of us like to do audio. Some of us don't like to do audio. Some of us are creative. Some of us are less creative. Some of us like to do, some of us like to do that. Some of us go to bed early. Some of us don't go to bed early. Some of us pray in the morning. Some of us pray at night. Some of us, we're all so different. 
But a lot of times we, we get upset because people are different than we are. And, and what Jesus said is just go settle stuff. If somebody has something against you, go settle it. Well, I don't want to settle it. They're the ones that started it. Well, they may have, but, but we as followers of Jesus can, can, can kind of settle it. Well, why is it important? Because it'll take the anger piece out of your life because we're called to be peacemakers. Some of you, and this was something I learned maybe as a young guy following him, you ever wonder, oh, Lord, if you just answered some of my prayers or if I just heard your voice, you know, I've got almost foolproof remedy of how you can have an answer to prayer in the next 30 minutes and may even hear his voice. It goes like this. Lord, who do I need to forgive? It's amazing the names that come to my mind. It never fails. And those names are usually the people that I need to forgive. But Lord, they need to, they need to be the ones going to, I know, but I want you to forgive it. Why do I get, because this, you don't want to carry that around. So if you're saying, God, you've, you've, you've just been too silent. Go out in the garden or sit in a chair. Who do you want me to forgive? And if you don't have a name coming to your mind pretty quickly, I don't know where you grew up, but they come really quickly to me. Then number three, there's this log and splinter thing. You know, this stuff really works. I'm telling you what really works, because people, we always get into stuff with each other, don't we? So number one, be reconciled. Number two, go settle stuff. Number three, you, know, you notice it's like the activity is on us. Well, I, I, Lord, I will gladly forgive them when they ask me forgiveness. <laughs> 25 years later, Lord, I will gladly forgive them when they ask forgiveness. It's, the emphasis goes to us. Now, how do I know? Because of this log and splinter thing. So Jesus said, why, 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 why are you trying to get splinters out of people's eyes? Well, because they hurt them. Why? Because they break the skin barrier. Why, why do you want to get, well, because they could go blind. And you're not taking the log out of your own eye. A log out of my own eye? Well, the log, Lord, doesn't pierce the skin that easily. It's heavy. It's weighted. It doesn't sit there by itself. I'm having a hard time keeping that log so that I can be blind and not see the way I should see. And the Lord just says, take the log out of your own eye first. And then you can deal with the splinter. I tell you, this works. I had a couple guys who were upset at me once. And they were Christians. They just didn't like me. And they didn't like, you know, what was going on. So they kind of put their thumb on a bunch of stuff. And if anybody <laughs> deserved to come talk to me and ask forgiveness, were these guys. And, uh, but I wasn't going there. And then I heard this. I read this. And what it said was, David, you're supposed to go to them. And this is how you're supposed to start. You're supposed to start with what you've done and failed in the situation. 
But David, that's not good business sense. That's not what we do here in the Northeast. Yeah, but that's why Jesus said, you've heard it said, but this is what I say. And so I went to these guys. We had a big meeting. I went to these guys, and I started out by saying this. This is where I failed you guys. And I listed about eight things. Granted, it took everything in me to do it. <laughs> I had eight things there of where I failed. In my brain, I had about 40 of where they may have. But I took that eight, and I started out with that. And those guys looked at me at the end of that, and they had no expectation that was coming. And they looked at me, and they said, well, Dave, we think we've done stuff that may have started this. I go, really? Really? Seriously? And then all of a sudden, they started listing about eight things. And then they said to me, furthermore, would you set up another meeting with us so that you can tell us how we as an organization could learn from what happened? And I go, absolutely. And we hugged. Didn't kiss, but we hugged. And in those hugs, there was fellowship back in order. And you know, I didn't have a chance to dwell on that in the watches of the night so that the word says, don't let the sun go down on your anger because if you let the sun go down on your anger, it intensifies because it was all gone. So I can tell to you, it works. And you say, but, but why should I be the one? Well, it's kind of like going to the cross. What do you mean going to the cross? Well, Jesus said we have to pick up our cross. I don't want to pick up a cross. I'll pick up some cross buns. I'll pick up some food. I'll pick up some takeout. What do you mean pick up my cross? I mean, sometimes you have to go to the cross for people. I don't want to go to the cross for I especially don't want to go to the cross for those guys. Well, Jesus went to the cross for you, didn't he? Yeah. But that was me. You think you deserve it more than them? Yeah, no, I don't. Well, what about going to the cross for them? I don't want to go to the cross for them. Well, maybe Jesus wants you to go to the cross for them. Maybe they don't even know that they can go to the cross or that they need to go to the cross. You mean it's on me? Well, are you a follower of me? Yeah. Well, as it says, as much as possible, be at peace with all people. Someone you may not be able to. But there's a whole lot of them that can reduce the anger level in your life. So this is why Jesus changed it up. Because he said, I want to join. I want to partner. I want to walk with you through all the stuff that's happened in your life and mitigate those cauldrons of anger that come blowing out everywhere. Really? That's what you want to do? In my years, if I could tell you you've learned anything from the storms that have been in my life, it's this. I would think that almost every trial and storm that I've ever been through seems to have one purpose with God. Hey, Dave, I told you I'm your dad, and I really love you. And that's what it's really all about. So I can follow him. 
close in with a little story that can give you hope today. So time these disciples. I, have you ever been on a party boat, you know, out by Sandy Hook? Or see, I used to go to those things. I never caught anything. At any rate, boats. I was once <laughs> in a boat. Janine was smart enough to tell me, Dave, don't go out today. But a friend of mine and I, Julio and I, went out. And there were water spouts out on the water. It was the worst storm he was over the side, if you know what I mean. Not only did we catch a fish, if we were catching any fish, it would have been hit on the head with a sinker because the boat was flying so high with the wind. I hated that. It was a boat in a storm. And disciples once were in a boat in a storm. And it was awful. They were wet. They were probably slopped. They were probably blaming each other. Jesus shows up and what happens? He calms the storm. Storm's over. That's when there's a boat in a storm. But did you know sometimes it's not in our life that there's a boat in a storm. Sometimes there's just a storm in our boat. Everybody else is dry, but we're wet. Everybody else is just chilling. But inside us is lightning and storms and thunder and trees coming down and all of that upon my life because that rain cloud is just on me. I'm depressed. I'm lonely. I'm despondent. I'm in despair. I believe in curses rather than what my new identity is. How can I break free? Well, this is why Jesus changed it up. Because the same Jesus who can calm a storm of a boat in a storm can calm a storm that's in our own personal boat. All we have to do is look up and just ask this amazing Jesus to calm our inner storm. We go into a world as peacemakers. My hope today as we close in with this last song, why don't we deal with some of that anger just here? Maybe we can forgive. Maybe we can forget. Maybe we can decide to walk to that cross for that person. Maybe we can ask the healer to heal our soul. Mm -hmm.